sing in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and the Spirit, because this is in whose name we gather. Let's sing it out. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we're gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grave. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we're gathered together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall on your grace, hear the joyful sound.
Oh God, how I need 
together this morning. Father, thank you. As we shout those words, perhaps some louder than others from the depths of our hearts today, we're reminded how true they are, but we're also reminded, God, of how good, how faithful you are. Just as Peter, when he took his eyes off you and the waves got too big and he began to sink, all he had to do was cry out your name and you were there. Thank you for hearing us when we're desperate, when we're tired, when we're weary. We thank you, God, for knowing what's going on in our lives even when we don't know. We don't have the words. We can't explain it. We're too overwhelmed by it. Whatever it may be, it's not too big for you. It's in that reality and that truth and, and those reminding moments, Lord, of our lives that we are reminded of the hope that we have, the hope that's restored, the hope that you give to us. And we can hold on a little bit longer. We can deal with a little bit more knowing that we're not alone, knowing that you're still with us. So we enter into this Lenten season, God. This time of preparation, this time of recognition of how much you loved us, of how far you were willing to go for us. I, I pray, God, we wouldn't take it for granted. We, we would take this time of getting ready to celebrate what is you've done for us. At the same time, Lord, get to learn a little bit more about you and allow you, Father, to reveal things in our lives that maybe we've looked over Maybe we have justified. Maybe we try to explain away those things, Lord, that might be holding us back. We pray, Lord, that this would be a season where we go a little bit deeper, learn to love you a little bit more, create space, Father, in our lives for you to do wondrous things. Pray, Father, those, for those today that have specific needs. They've come with heavy hearts. Those who are dealing with grief and loss. Well, you know what that's like. Draw them close and comfort them. For those that are sick or, or, or have a loved one or a family or a friend that's sick, Lord, and they just need a touch from you or, or they're waiting on you to do something or the, the doctors have done all they can do. And you're all we have left be your will. God, we pray for a touch. For relationships, God, that need mended and worked on. Pray for the hearts of those that find themselves on different sides of disputes and disagreements. For humility. For reminder, Lord, of what it means to love. Loving the way that you love us. That you've modeled for us. For the moms and dads, Lord, in this place that need help with their children. Remind us, God, again, that you love them even more than we do. Lord, for our church, as we seek your vision, as we seek to be people who follow after you, completely, wholeheartedly, Lord, fully surrendered, as we seek to be people that, that are, are of mission and of purpose, May we recognize what it is you're doing and hear, Lord, and see what it is you're inviting us to be part of. You're up to something good in this church, in this place, amongst these people, Lord, and we are thankful to be part of it. We see it. So God, I pray you would continue to give us wisdom as we seek to discern your will. And to not continue doing good and seeking to become who you want us to be. It's for your glory. It's for your kingdom's sake. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in this place today. Bless those that ventured out into this weather and those who could not, Lord, that are watching online. Draw us together. Remind us, Lord, that even though we may not be in the same room together, we are one when we come to worship you. Father, be glorified, I pray, in this place today. In Jesus' name. We should have seen it coming. It seems like every year we start talking about Easter and we get weather like this. 
And we're left wondering if that groundhog really knows what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> winter's not quite yet done, but we're thankful for the opportunity to come into worship. And uh, I'm very impressed that so many of you ventured out this morning. And in, in the cold, it was a beautiful day out. The sun's shining. It's, uh, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. And we're glad you're here. Look forward to seeing what God continues to do among us. Uh, we, we've entered into Lent, and if you were with us this past Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday, uh, we were reminded of, of why we need Jesus. We're reminded of our hopelessness apart from him. We're reminded that sin, our sin, separates us from God, and that this is a season for us to, to take moments, take time to reflect and to think about those things that separate us from him but also to get ready, if you will, to prepare, not only to reflect internally, but to also look ahead, knowing how the story ends, church, we, we have that benefit. We can get a little bit excited as well, uh, using this time, if you will, to get ready for the party, uh, because we know what's coming, but there's a lot of work that goes into the planning for the party, for the celebration, and this season, while it's one that culminates in us and recognizing that the tomb is still empty, uh, but we also need to recognize that that's the reason that we gather every Sunday. It's not to have our personal spiritual needs always metal. That's part of it. It's not so that we can come and worship or, or sing songs that we like. Oh, that's part of it. It's so that we as a people can, can come together and God can use us as individuals corporately to make a difference in, in, in the world in which we are called to live. To, to minister to others, to share with them the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. That's the reason we gather. Jesus saves us as individuals and invites us to share our faith with others. Corporately, God takes our individual stories, emerges them, and uses them to serve a common purpose meant to honor and to bring him glory. Our stories are meant to point others back to God. This is not a new thing. This is not something we've created. Jesus gives us the Great Commission. Matthew chapters 28, verses 19 and 20, he says to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Help them get to know who I am and give them the opportunity to, to enter in a relationship with me so that they too can be saved. Go, make disciples. And, and we've gotten pretty good at certain parts of that commission but I think there's still room for improvement. And that improvement begins with us asking the question, what does it mean, what does it look like to make disciples? How do we make disciples for our creator? Our creator God is the one who makes things. He's the one who pushes things together. He's the one who molds and shapes them. But here he invites us to go and to make. How do we make? How would we even begin to make something so significant? Only through him and his power through, through all that he does in and through us. And there's a really key ingredient that we'll talk about in just a few moments that is very important in our context this morning. But what does that look like in this church? And I think to answer that question, we, we have to begin by seeking to understand what is the vision and mission that God has for us? Because vision and mission are essential in us becoming and being who God has created us to be. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 we read, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instructions. In the New Living Translation, it reads, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. We see a lot of that in our culture today, don't we? The King James Version, where there is no vision, people perish. And it all, each translation tells us there's this important need for divine guidance for a spiritual vision, for revelation, this revealing from God of who we are supposed to be and what it is that he wants us to do. Because without it, it's like the lawless wild, wild west. And, and our culture reflects that more and more with each passing generation. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. Scripture tells us that's what it'll look like. Sin is going to continue to, to be sinful. It's going to continue to get worse. And, and you're not going to legislate sin away. It's not going to be a political solution. It's going to be a spiritual solution. It's going to be the church becoming who it's supposed to be, living out our faith in a way that's real, tangible, and attractive, in a way that is spirit-fed and spirit-led. We as a church are, are and have been seeking... Uh, to understand better the mission and the vision that God has for us. 
This is an important part of, of my ministry. In my second meeting with our church board in August of 2022, I began introducing this idea of creating a vision team, uh, a group of, of people from our church, a cross-section of our church that would come together and intentionally seek out what it would look like, what, what it means to be, or what, it, what making a disciples would, would uh, finally, how it would be successful in this church. On January 23rd, I'm sorry, January 2023, the church board approved our team. We sent out letters to, to 16 individuals. Uh, we, we had alternates in case some would not want to be a part. And amazingly, the first 16 all accepted to be part of our vision team. Very encouraging to me to know that others also were wanting and desiring the same things. This was a diverse group of age, of genders, of faith journey, of level of involvement. Some from first service, some from second service. This cross-section of our church coming together, first meeting in March of 2023, almost one year ago. We began this intentional process of identifying gifts, of, of, of identifying our passions, of trying to get a bigger understanding, a better understanding of our heart, spending time talking about our community needs and the opportunities that God might be presenting to us that, that we as a church could go and meet based upon the giftings that we had. And through the overlapping of these pieces, we were able to find this intersection, if you will. And in this intersection, in this overlap, we, we find our missional hotspot, that place where the gifts that God's given to us with the passions that we already have kind of overlap, if you will, the needs that our community is presenting. <clears throat> when we got to that hot spot, there was a little bit of added excitement. We began to see, okay, Lord, maybe there's a place that you have for us here. And it's not to say that the other tangents, the other things that, that we were passionate about that maybe didn't fit our communities weren't important. And it's not to say that community needs that maybe we aren't gifted to meet aren't important. There will be opportunities for us to kind of delve into those areas. But what is it that God wants us to focus? Who would he have us be and to become for our community that only we can be? He started to reveal those things to us. It, uh, admittedly, uh, it, it didn't come as easily as maybe many had hoped, myself included. As we started to peel back the layers, uh, discovering what it is that makes us tick, so to speak, uh, to simply uh, to better define what we're all about, the reality of us being a complex group of 16 individuals began to surface. And this process to discover our vision uh, wasn't coming as easily as maybe we would have liked, but it was still very intentional. And each time we were getting together, we were moving forward. Now, understand what we were trying to do. Let me paint a picture for you. Uh, if you imagine if we were in God's living room and on his wall is a picture of our church and kind of like a family picture and as visitors and guests kind of enter into heaven, he kind of shows them, well, this is the church of the Nazarene in Marysville and this is what it looks like. And in that picture, there's this vision that God has for us. It's this image of us as a church and what we're doing for the kingdom and how we're helping others come to who Jesus is. And it's held together, if you will, held on the wall by a frame. That frame has four sides. And it's the four sides of the frame that we as a team have been working on over these last 11 months together. Each side makes up a part of the framework that God is revealing and showing to us. The first side of the frame is mission. We'll talk more about mission in just a few moments. The second side is values. We've just started our values conversation. Tonic tells you where we're at in the process. The third side is measures. How do you know you're being successful? How do you know you as a church are doing what it is that God wants you to do? How do you measure that? And the fourth part is strategy. What, what are we doing intentionally to continue fulfilling the mission that God has for us? Now, some meetings you could see things click and the progress was obvious, but not all of our meetings have been like that. Other times, progress has been difficult to measure, at least on the surface. But each conversation has helped move us closer to better understanding and defining who it is that God wants us to be. In January, I'm sorry, December 13th of, of last year, we shared with the church board uh, the mission, the first part of our frame that we feel that God has shown to us. Now, this isn't rocket science. Jesus has already given us the Great Commission. We're not changing that. That's something that, that we cannot change. We can't define. Christ gave that to us. But the steps that we can define and help shape and, and form around who we are as a church are things that we have to seek diligently, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. So we have crafted, if you will, a seven-word mission for our church. Simple. 
that children and adults alike can come to grasp and understand it. Communicate it. And it will become a driving force that, that will help define the other three parts of our frame. And it's simply this. Sharing the hope we find in Jesus. That's why we gather. It's to equip or to prepare each one of us to share the hope that we all have and ex have experienced that we find only in Jesus. We want it to be simple. We want it to be something that people can own and grab hold of. If we break down these seven words, or specifically five words, you see some very intentional uh, responses to the process God put us through. Sharing. It's an action word. It's an implication that we have something that others need to hear about. Each one of us have a chapter in our lives where God has been present, where he's revealed himself to us, where he's shown up and been faithful in our lives. That is the beginning, if you will, of our testimony, of the stories that we get to share. It's a word that implies action, that we're doing something with it. We're not just keeping it to ourselves, but we're letting others in on what it is that God is doing. Hope, obviously, is one of the key words of our mission statement. It's that deep motivation that keeps us moving, uh, that rock or foundation upon which we build our lives. And that hope is something that is, is so critical for us to define. It's what our world needs. Everyone puts hope in something. We all do. It's how we're designed. It's how we're made. It's a natural thing to desire and to long for and, and to express. So we want to share the hope that we the third important word uh, in our mission statement, the word we implies that we're all in this together, that no one is on an island by themselves, that you don't have to go through the ups and the downs alone, that you have others that are willing to come along beside you, that are wanting to come along beside you. And we implies that not only was it once previously we, but it's still we. We're still doing this life thing with one another. Then find, sharing hope we find that word find is kind of a present tense, if you will, descriptor, but also speaks to a future discovery. It's one that's implying that we haven't found, we're still finding. We might have discovered the hope, but it's something that we're still living out. It's intentionally put and worded this way so that we understand that we haven't yet arrived. No matter how long you've been in the church, there's still finding yet to be done. There's still things yet for us to discover, still growth yet for us to achieve. We, sh we are sharing actively hope that we find, and the culmination of our mission is Jesus. Jesus. That's why we're here today, it's because of Jesus. That's why we do what we do, it's why we share with our community, it's why we invest in missions and outreach, so that others would come to know Jesus. The source of our hope the, the, the very foundation upon which we're called to build, the one through whom which we find salvation, and the one who we're called to follow. If you go back to the Great Commission, go and to make disciples. The word disciple simply means one who follows in the footsteps of, one who comes after, one who trains behind. And, and we are called to not just be disciples, but to be disciples of Christ followers of Jesus, to live our lives in such a way that he models for us. What does that kind of life look like? Included in a simple statement is a distinct purpose that also remains open to different expressions. And we want those different expressions to be things that each one of us with our different gifts can then put into practice. These expressions will come out or begin to manifest themselves when we begin the next steps of defining our values, which we are in the midst of, and we hopefully will share with you after Easter in a whole different series where we reveal to you the values that we believe that God is, has, has put upon up our hearts and who he wants us to be in a more tangible way. And the more that we work through this as a team, what I'm finding is the more I hunger and thirst to see God continue to reveal to us who he wants us to be, what he wants us to look like. I begin to thirst for more. And we see all of these pieces, all these things that God is doing, from paying off our indebtedness to, to seeking out the mission that he has for us, to responding to the opportunities that he's putting before us, to the new friends that he's brought into our faith family in, in recent months. And I get excited. There's good things happening. We see new homes and, and new apartments being built, new people moving into our community, more opportunities for us to share the hope that we find in Jesus. We should get excited about every opportunity we have to do that. 
I understand for some this can be a little bit imposing, that this can make you a little bit nervous. This whole idea of, of sharing our faith in, in, in a way that maybe makes us uncomfortable, yet even that is part of the process of still finding and discovering. I pray there comes a point where in your faith journey where you get so excited about what God is doing that you can't wait to talk about it. Perhaps there's been something you've seen on TV in recent days you couldn't wait to go and talk to someone else about. Some news bits you've read that you couldn't wait to share with someone else. Things that, that you read that, that, that just move you or, or frustrate you or do something in your heart and life that you want to go tell someone else. In church, every Sunday we gather and we worship and we praise and we read about that something that should be motivating us Monday through Saturday to go and tell other people about. Yet for many, we're quiet. I get it. We don't want to be rejected, laughed at. I know in our workplaces, sometimes we're not allowed to do that. I, I recognize those limitations. But if we're content to being quiet, then there's something missing. There's something to be said about where we're at in that discipleship journey. So I'm praying during this Lenten season that God would instill within us a new thirst, a new longing, a new desire to be used by him. So that this idea of thirst, we're going to be talking about these next six weeks. Obviously, thirst implies water. And water is going to be an important theme that we're going to be using over the, these, these next six messages that God's put upon my heart. As we use this theme to really help dictate the direction that God's moving us in the days ahead. Now, if you don't know, uh, many of you already know, I've shared this many times. I used to be a scientist before I was a pastor. Uh, that was my, 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 my educational background, and I did a couple of years in uh, that industry. But so, so science kind of resonates with me, and you may know this already, but water makes up 65, 60 to 75% of our body weight. The scientists have long known that water is essential for life. It's a big part of our bodies, of our lives. So during this Lenten season, we're going to dive deep, like that use of water, into Scripture and discover how essential water also is to our spiritual lives. Through the Gospel of John, we will be invited to drink of living water that we find in Jesus Christ. And through this repetitive going back to the story of water, how it shows up in different ways, used to express different faith understandings, we're going to be wrecked, we're going to uh, sorry we're going to come to understand how essential it is to our spiritual life as well. We're going to jump around a little bit in the beginning parts of the gospel, gospels, if you will, this morning in Mark chapter one verses ten and eleven. We we read in, in Mark's gospel that, that that Jesus shows up where John the Baptist is baptizing people, and he goes to John. He says, "John, I want you to baptize me." And John's like, "Whoa, wait a minute! I I know who you are. I have some inside information." You know, John was Jesus' cousin. I'm sure he heard all the stories about their births. And John's like, no, no, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus, no, this is how it's supposed to be. John baptized Jesus. And in verse 10, we read in the Gospel of Mark, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus' ministry uh, kind of begins in this moment, if you will. The, the, this baptism, this modeling for us, one of the first steps we're to see and to practice in our faith. But we also see in this moment, I think often we miss this, is this is, here's this intersection of the Trinity in, in the Gospels coming together in one place at one time where we can see it. Jesus coming out of the water, he sees heaven torn open, and this Holy Spirit descending on him. And he hears the voice of God speak. And we see, see all three parts of the Trinity in, in, in one verse in the Gospel of Mark. We also see the same account in, in Matthew. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But what we recognize is that Jesus is getting ready to get started. Modeling for us what it looks like to be a disciple. Now, interestingly, Matthew and Luke focus a lot on Jesus' birth and the early parts of Jesus' life, the different expressions of that, what it looked like, his going to Egypt, uh, his being raised, his going to the temple when he was 12. Uh, there's different parts of Jesus' early life. John and Mark kind of skip over some of that. They get right to the ministry parts of, of Jesus' ministry. In the Gospel of John, uh, John begins with the story of John the Baptist and Jesus calling his disciples. In John chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus is talking about, he's celebrating the Passover. Many miracles are being performed. 
and people are beginning to kind of believe. It says many people believe in his name in verse 23, but Jesus still hadn't fully revealed who he was. And while people are believing because they're seeing the miracles and the wonders, we read in verse 25 of John chapter 2, he did not need man's testimony about man, for Jesus knew what was in man. See, Jesus didn't really need to know or to hear from people yet, because he knew what really we were all about. He knew what we needed. He knew what was missing. He knew what our motivations were. He knew what was wrong. And this verse speaks to the original sin that exists and, 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 and curses all mankind, but also speaks to the personal sin, that separation that we choose. Jesus recognizes that he's come for a purpose, to fulfill a, a need, to, to bridge the gap, if you will, between God and man, to provide a way for sin to be forgiven. And then we flip the page to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is one you're very familiar with. Uh, many of us learn a verse out of John chapter 3 that we can still recite and it sticks with us. And it's this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. This is very early in his ministry. He's performing miracles. Things are going on. People are paying attention, including the Pharisees. The Pharisees are getting a little bit worried and concerned about what they're seeing and hearing. In fact, in John chapter 2, that's the passage where Jesus says, I will tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. That, that, that same encounter will be used against Jesus later on as he was tried, if you will, convicted and condemned to be crucified. It's in this moment that Nicodemus comes to Jesus and has some really honest questions. The things you're teaching, Nicodemus says, they don't make sense to us. This is contrary to what we, we've been practicing and what we've been sharing, what we've been teaching for thousands of years. This is really strange, but I think for Nicodemus, there was also something in him that was being drawn to it. Perhaps, if you will, the veil being peeled back, being, being pulled away. For the first time, he's starting to struggle with what maybe is true, how his understanding of God is being shifted. Jesus talks with Nicodemus about why he's come, about the difference that he plans to make. And read in verse 16, the verse that many of us know and love, for God so loved the world, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I share this verse with you because there's a word in the midst of this verse that speaks to what it really means to make disciples. It speaks to what it means for us to fulfill the mission God has for us. We know that God loved us. We recognize that in Scripture. We know that he gave Jesus, his only son, on our behalf to, as a sin offering, if you will. But there's a word in here that many of us, we kind of think we understand, but we often kind of gloss over or even whitewash or even maybe redefine so it fits our lifestyle. It's the word believe. What does it mean to believe? And when we understand what it means to believe, then we have a better understanding of what it means to make disciples. The word belief is a Greek word, pistuyo. And pistuyo is a really powerful word. See, it's in this word that we find the heart of discipleship as Jesus models for us, as Jesus explains to us. And here's a really inside bit we don't get to decide what a disciple looks like. Jesus does. To be a disciple of Christ, to be a disciple of someone, that someone gets to decide what it looks like to follow after them. Pastuyo means to be persuaded of, committed to, to be convinced or convicted of. It's a belief that is life-changing, that is life-altering, that is life-transforming. It's a belief that changes every other aspect of your life. We could leave this place saying, oh, we believe in Jesus, we believe in God. But if we go through life, money through Saturdays, if God has no impact on our life, or if the teachings of Jesus make no difference in our daily lives and the things that we choose to do and not to do, then the church, I hate to break this to you if that's you, but then you really don't believe the way that Jesus defines belief. That's harsh at times to have to kind of comprehend and to grab hold of. But there are many in churches today who really, truly don't believe because their life has not been changed one bit. And we have to come to that grasp, that reality. That's what we're inviting people to be a part of, to discover. That's, what, that's the Jesus we're wanting them to follow, is that Jesus does make a difference in our lives. 
He changes what we say. He changes what we do. He changes what we don't do. He changes how we interact with others. He changes how we share with others or how we spend our money and how we spend our time and how we raise our children. Jesus changes everything. And I've tried it the world's way. I've been there. I'd much rather do it Jesus' way. Doesn't mean it's easier. Doesn't mean it, 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 I experience the same things with him or without him. The difference is with them, I know I'm not by myself. The difference is with them, I know how the story ends. The difference when I when I live life with Jesus, I have someone guiding me and helping me, putting pieces that don't make sense in my life together. When I do it with Jesus, I have hope. Hope that I can share, hope that makes a difference, hope that's not fleeting or, or seasonal or temporary. Hope it's real. Hope that lasts. Hope that changes the lives of others. Now, many people believe different things in our culture today. Just turn on the news if you dare. And what you see are people expressing their beliefs. Some of these beliefs show up in political or, or social issues, and, and I'm not going to get any of that. But here's where you begin to understand, and I hope I can draw this parallel of, of why belief, as Jesus explains it in John chapter 3, matters. You could present someone who has a certain belief with facts, but the facts won't change their belief because it's so ingrained in them as if facts don't matter. There's this old adage, maybe you've heard it, facts don't care about our opinions. Facts are what they are. And I can factually state that Jesus made a difference in my life. That's a fact I want to share. And there have been times in my life where I've had to come face to face with what I believe and, and recognize that what I, believe, what I was believing was not right. And give God the room to change my heart. Allow him the space to do something in me. You might go, well, how does that happen, Pastor? Where does that occur? When does that occur? And we start to see that piece show up in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, kind of the same, if you will, baptism account that we read in Mark chapter 1. And it's the same story. Jesus was baptized as he came out of the water. The heavens tore open. The spirit descended and the word of God's voice of God spoke. But in Matthew, we see another chapter, another piece that's so intricately important in this journey. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Immediately the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, to be tempted, he was spent 40 days fasting, and if you will, kind of getting ready for ministry, if you will. But he goes into the wilderness, he's led by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit descends, falls upon Jesus after being baptized, and immediately leads Jesus into the desert. Perhaps you find yourself in a desert season in your life, a dry season, a season of temptation, a season of struggle. Well, I have good news for you. The desert, the wilderness, if you will, in Scripture is a holy place. The wilderness is where God shows up and speaks to his people and meets with his people. God met Moses in the wilderness in the burning bush. God led the, the Israelites through uh, the, 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 the wilderness on the way to the promised land through, as a pillar of fire and, and, and a cloud during the day. God meets with his people in the wilderness. So if you find yourself in the desert, take heart. That's where God meets with his people. Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted. He's hungry, scripture tells us. He experiences the same desires that we do. But he fulfills those needs through interacting with God. See, even Jesus, Son of God, didn't begin his earthly ministry until, has, as Stephen Manley, the Nazarene evangelist, would tell us, until he was spirit-sourced. The spirit has to be part of the process, part of our process. The spirit is an integral piece of being discipled. The Spirit is what guides and directs us. The Spirit is that, that conscious view on our shoulder that speaks to us and tells us what's right or wrong, what steers and directs us, corrects us when we make mistakes, gives us opportunity to change and to make it right. The Spirit is a big part of discovering who does God wants us to be and who he wants us to be, not only today, but in our future. So God gives Jesus, who's part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And again, he's been doing this to model for us the pieces that we need to be who he wants us to be. The Holy Spirit's part of this process is not lost. It's intentionally sought. We recognize that we need it. And we can't be who he wants us to be without it. 
And we read in, the, in Joel chapter 2, Joel, a prophet in the, in the Old Testament, verses 28 through 32. We read uh, Joel chapter 2 earlier on Ash Wednesday this week. And at the beginning of Joel chapter 2, it, it's, it's doom and gloom. It, it, it's, it's, it's war and, and these battles and, it's, and it, it's famine and it's plagues and it's locusts and it's not good. We get to the end of chapter 2 and we see something positive begin to emerge. Verse 28, Joel writes, And afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And church, I believe we're in those days. Those days when God is wanting to awaken the church and do something special, something beautiful, something that we can only do through him. As we seek out his mission and his purpose, his vision for us, it's only through him. It's spirit-led, it's spirit-sourced, and that's where we get excited because that means we don't have to do the heavy lifting. We just have to be available. We just have to be willing to allow God to use us to share the hope that we find in Jesus. Verse 30 says, I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Now, that's a little ominous, if you will, but I do like the idea of God showing the world wonders, things that can't be explained that can only be attributed to him. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now that I could probably do without, but it certainly would get our attention, wouldn't it? Verse 32, and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where it begins. That, that's the heart of our mission. We give them the opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord, the opportunity for salvation. But then we want them to become a disciple. So the, the first part of our mission is to share the hope we find in Jesus. But the other three parts of the frame are equally important. We want them to recognize the values upon which we build our faith and our lives. Those values then lead to measures of how we can see how it is that we're growing, how it is that we're doing as a church and fulfilling the mission God has for us. And then the strategy is, is designed to help people continue to grow in their faith. So we get to the place where our young people, our sons and daughters will prophesy and our old men will dream dreams. And I hope that you're still dreaming big dreams and that we will see visions of what it is that God's doing among us. Those are exciting things to consider. But it begins with God pouring out his spirit. None of that happens until God takes the first step. So we position ourselves, we do our work, we, we pray, we get ready, we, we humble ourselves, asking God to do these things Say, Lord, we are here. We're willing to be used by you. What do you want to do with us? And we wait for the moment where corporately we go through, if you will, the, the, this corporate baptism as a church, this, this, this time of surrender. And we are, when he raises us up, the heavens part and the spirit descends. And God speaks to us as his church. This is my church. Here's their picture. It's on my wall. In them I'm well pleased. Look what they're doing for the kingdom. Look what they're doing for me. Look how much they've sacrificed. Look what they've given up. Look what they're pursuing. Look who they're impacting. Look at the lives that are changing. Because of what it is that God is, what they're allowing me to do through them. I'm praying during this Lenten season that God will begin to pour out his spirit. And that we will begin to experience, as Joel tells us, seasons of prophecy and dreams and visions. And we'll get excited about what it is that God is doing in these days in our church, his church, that he allows us to be a part of, that, that, that he calls us individually to, to come together corporately and to share this common theme and message, the hope that we find in Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 17. We've been talking about covenant these last several couple of months together. And, and here we see covenant and thirst come together. We use this illustration of marriage. We see in the New Testament where Jesus talks about uh, how uh, the relationship that we have or the church has with God the Father is best represented through this illustration of marriage where, where Christ as the groom takes his bride, the church, and he helps us to become who he wants us to be, and he leads us, and he takes care of us, and he nurtures us, but he positions us also to be effective in, in ministry. So this idea of marriage and be looked at as the bride of Christ is a beautiful one, and it's covenantal in its language, and we see it in Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit, which is essential for this process, and the bride, that's us, the church, say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who wishes to take the free gift, the water of life, come. Church, that's what it means and looks like to share the hope that we find in Jesus. Together, we, the bride of Christ with the Holy Spirit, share our stories, invite those who are thirsty to come. Thirst looks different in each of our lives. But there's no doubt I, that each one of us, if we would pause for a moment and think about it, there's something that each one of us is thirsty for today. Something. Something you're longing for, something that's missing, part of your life that's dry, maybe parched, and you're thirsty. We find the answer to that thirst in the water of life. Jesus. As we continue this conversation together over these next five weeks, I pray that you'll come each Sunday thirsty. Come ready to receive what God has for us as he reveals to us the, the things that he's wanting to do in us, the things that he's calling us to be a part of, the difference that he's wanting to make in each of our lives. And there'll be some things we're going to talk about these next couple of weeks. I, I think you'll enjoy them. And you'll see... How, each, how easily, readily God is ready to quench our thirst in him. Some exciting things coming to life of our church. I can't wait to share them with you, but we're going to do it in order. Do it in a way that makes sense. Do it in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So I invite you to stand with me this morning. And I'm going to pray for you. <clears throat> that over these next 40 days together, as we get ready to celebrate Easter here in about six weeks, that you will be open to the thirst that's in your life, but also choose to intentionally go to the one, the only one, that can quench that thirst. Jesus. Father, I pray for your people. Pray for your church. Some, Lord, have been a part of this church for 50, 60 years. Other, Lord, just, just can be measured their, their time in this church in just a matter of weeks. Lord, all are important and a part of your story, a part of what it is you're wanting to do in and among us and through us. We're seeking out your mission and your purpose that you have for us. We believe, Lord, you've given us a starting point, a very simple, yet deeply honest and profound expression of who we are to be. We want to be people that are actively sharing the hope we find in Jesus. What does that look like? I'm sure it's different for each one. And I'm sure there's some here today that are excited about what that's going to look like and others, Lord, that are still a little anxious. It's hard. I get it. But it doesn't have to be. It gets easier, Lord, when the Holy Spirit becomes a real part of our story. So God, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. I believe you already have. Now it's an opportunity for us to recognize that already present Spirit in the life of your church. The Spirit is always with us, that walks beside us, that encourages and speaks to us and holds us accountable. That Spirit, Lord, that can empower us if we would just give you the space and the room and the opportunity. The Lord, we could be a church that dreams dreams, that sees what you're up to, that shares the prophetic word of the Lord of, of, of the difference, Father, walking with Jesus can make in our lives. What about our belief, God, this morning? Do I believe in you so deeply that you change every part of my life? Or is it just a superficial, partial belief? You know, that kind of get-out-of-hell-free card, if you will, but yet still wanting to live life our own way. It's a struggle that mankind has faced since the beginning of creation. It's not a new battle, it's not a new fight. The response is still the same. The only way that we win that battle is still the same, through you, through Jesus. The Lord, begin to speak to us. Begin to shape our hearts and prepare us, Lord, for what it is you have for us. We don't want to settle. We want to be who you want us to be, fully, completely, only. God, we thank you for seeing something in us as individuals, as a church, that you can use that you can use to help others come to know who you are that can bring you glory. That's an exciting realization. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in and among us. 
Look forward, Father, seeing what you're going to continue to do in us these next several weeks together. I pray, Father, today that we recognize that whatever it is we're thirsty for will only ever fully be quenched by the living water we find in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, God. Amen. Go share the hope we find in Jesus. You might be surprised if you allow God the opportunity. Mm-hmm.